The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Well, good evening, Love City Church. Uh, so thankful to be here, even under these circumstances. Um, uh, I pray that I've been praying for us, been praying that the Lord would would use whatever I have to give, which is not much, but we serve a mighty God. And so I'm, I'm so thankful to, to be gathered with you. And I've just been praying against any distractions or any potential um, that the enemy would crowd into this moment. Um, and so I just pray that you would do your best to find a space. I know the kids could be running around and you can always stop, stop the video and come back to it. But we're just so thankful that we can get together digitally with the technology that the Lord's provided for us and uh, still have fellowship and still have church. That's a, obviously an important part of living for Jesus is to gather with his people and fellowship and community. And so that strengthens us and encourages us to live the life that we're called to live for the gospel and for the glory of Christ. So I'm so thankful to be here with y'all. We're going to be in Proverbs. We've been going through the series called The Way of Wisdom. And I'd like to just, uh, while you're turning there, so it's Proverbs 3, 19 through 35. We've got quite a bit of verses we're going to try to pack in today, but I'm hoping by the Lord's grace he will give me the wisdom and uh, the clarity in my words that you all be able to understand and hopefully be encouraged in the scriptures tonight. So while you're turning there, I'm going to read a few verses that have encouraged me throughout the week just to get us started, to get us set up here. One of those is a prayer from Ephesians. You don't have to turn there. If you'd like, you can. Uh, it's going to be Ephesians 1, 17, 17 through 21. Uh, so this is just my prayer for us tonight, that we can just uh, that all the distractions that, that's going on right now, uh, with maybe within the home, with outside of the home, uh, I know a lot of us have been struggling, some people more than others, with, with this whole thing going on. And so uh, i just like to read a prayer to get our hearts and our minds and our affections towards Jesus in this moment. So it's going to be Ephesians 1, 17 through 21, here before we get started. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. It also says later on in Corinthians that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So even though we're going to be talking about wisdom principles, I'm going to kind of give you an over, like a, a bird's eye view almost of where we're at. We could spend weeks and months in the scriptures that I've been assigned to give you. And so I think these scriptures, I've broken them into four sections as we go verse by verse. And we're going to sort of 
get the points out of there, kind of big points. We're not going to focus so much on, on the little details that could be broken down in future series, but we're going to use these as launching pads to, to really get our, our mind and our affections and our eyes on God, especially during a time like this of uncertainty and possible fear trying to creep in. So Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, and that's what we'll be proclaiming this evening is Christ. So for this series, we've talked about wisdom, and I'd like to give just a simple definition for us to keep in mind of what wisdom is, because we're kind of going to be tackling a lot tonight. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. You can always go back to this and do a Bible study with the family. There's going to be some, a lot of verses, a lot of textures to this. I don't want it to feel like a, uh, like a lecture, but there, are, there is going to be some groundwork we're going to have to do in order for us to really captivate um, our minds and hearts of what the scriptures are trying to teach us. So I hope that you'll stick, stick in there with me uh, this, this evening. So wisdom, I've, I've just said it's, and I'm sure it's been said throughout this series, I know it has, it's just, it's, it's the right application of knowledge, okay? Purified and set apart by the Holy Spirit for God's glory. So we're going to, there's going to be some knowledge, we're going we're gonna to go through some of God's attributes, we're going to go to who God is, and, and I'm praying that's going to increase our faith and our trust in the unshakable, unwavering, mighty God. All right. So we're going to go ahead and read Proverbs three nineteen through 35. I hope you're there. I hope you're there to join me. Let's read the word of the Lord together. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you harm, no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. This is the word of God. Let's pray together as we go into his presence. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. We are so thankful for this opportunity to gather together digitally, Lord, that you have given us the technology to be able to gather as a community still, as a family, God. Lord, we know that you are with us. We know that you are not bound by space or time, but your spirit, your eyes see all, and you are with us, God. Even in this strange season, in this strange place, God, you are here and with us. And all the homes that we're in, God, Maybe the garages, maybe in our bedrooms, God, wherever that we're at, maybe on the porch, possibly, Lord. 
listening to this, maybe driving somewhere, God, you are with us and you are among us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that allows us to come into your presence, not condemned. But Lord, the price has been paid. The lamb has been sacrificed. God, you have shown your love to the world in Christ. And we come before you in his name, God. I ask that any distractions that would be pressing against us, Lord, that you would just keep those away in your name, God. Do not let the enemy get a foothold. Do not let the enemy get in. This is our time, God. This is our time to glorify your name. Father, glorify the name of your son in me as I speak, God. Lord, you know I don't have much knowledge to give. For I do not deserve this place, God. But we serve a great God, a merciful God. I'm so thankful for this opportunity to share your word, God, with the people. And I ask that you would do great and mighty things among us, Lord, that just because we're not together, Lord, we are still your church and we are still on the move and you still have a plan and you are still mighty and you are still sovereign and nothing will get in your way, God. Please help us to understand that truth, God, that we may not fear, that we may not tremble, Lord, but our sure confidence is in you, Lord. Not in our own wisdom and in our own might, but in the wisdom and the knowledge that is found in your Son. God, please bless this time. We ask humbly that you would do your work that only you know how to do. It's in the great name of your Son, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. So we talked about God's attributes. We're going to go ahead and and just jump in there. God's attributes is just basically who God is. We're going to kind of hit a couple of those as it's going to, I think, help us hopefully understand this passage more. So we can go back to Proverbs. We're going to start at verse 19 and just read 19 and 20 again. And we're kind of going to kind of dissect that a little bit and hopefully get a better understanding and a greater love for God even through these first couple verses. So verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. So in this section, I really want to talk about God's wisdom and creation. We're going to kind of start there. That's where the book starts. That's where we're going to start in the beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth. So God, a thing that I was studying this week that, and if we ponder this more, I'd encourage you to ponder this in in your family discipleship or your quiet time this week, what it means that God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things from nothing. Nothing. There There was no existing matter that he was working with. There was nothing but him from from all of eternity. And and all he had to do was speak the word that gave the whole world into existence. His speaking is his action, as we're going to see as we move further down. So the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. The Lord God created all things from nothing. God has always existed. There is no beginning to him. Which means there was actually a point in time which cannot be measured since God has no end or beginning that it was only God. 
And if you just let your mind kind of wander there, it's, you know, if you thought the universe was, was mind-boggling, think about the eternal triune God existing just him. And it's not, the question wouldn't even be right to ask, well, how, how long was God God before he created the world? That's not the right question because there is no measure, there is no time. There has always been God. And what a, what a concept, and especially during this time, friends, that we have a God that has no end or beginning, that, we, like I said, we can't even ask the question, how long was it that God was God before he created things? Friends, he has always been God. And he will always be God. Since he has always been God, he will always be and so, friend, we can trust in that. We can hold on to that. And that's one of the things I wanted to just to point out to you from these first couple of verses. I don't want us to miss this foundation because when it says the Lord by wisdom founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens, by his knowledge the deep were broken up. Friends, he did all this by his word. Not, he did not use anything that was there, existing matter. It was just God. It's a mind-shattering concept to our minds that really is beyond our, our capacity our ability to know fully, but it's one of those things that we believe by faith. Hebrews says this, Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And like I said, God didn't take already existing elements that were alongside him to create. He created the elements by the authority of his very words. By his very words. And you may be asking, well, how does, how does Jesus play into this? We've, we've, we've been lifting his name. We've been singing to him. We've been praying towards him. Well, friends, God created all of this through the second person of the Trinity, through his beloved son, the second person of the triune God, the word of God. And friends, God speaks and creates through his son, who is the word, as we, as we can read in John. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. So yes, God did use, as it says, he, only, he used his words to make the earth, but that was his Son doing that. Jesus Christ, the same God, this is the pre-incarnate Christ, creating the world with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. You read back in Genesis, as the Spirit was just hovering over the surface of the waters. They were in, in, in the divine council, in their wisdom. God created the world. What a, what a concept, friends, that Jesus, as the Word, created the world by the Word of God. What a concept. His words are actions. Without weariness or fatigue or tiredness, by His words alone, He created. He speaks the whole world into existence. What a mighty God that we serve, friends. So already we see the absolute authority in the reign of God above all. There are no outside eternal elements apart from him in this moment. No world, no angels, no Satan, only the trying God and his eternity. And he decided to create the world, to create us. So we, we must not fear. We must not for a second think that God is not in control and reigning. This was his purpose from the foundations of the world. He did not have to do this. He, this. This is his work, friends. It's not out of his control. 
It's not out of his hands as, as the deist would, would like to, to come alongside and say that God created the world and just let it go. No, no. God is in the midst. He's, he's at work even in these times as such as these that we're in. And friends, I, as we move forward, I just want to submit to you that the only way that we can have victory over any fear or anxiety is by looking to God to see who he is made clear to us through Christ. The more we know of God's power and the more that he's exalted in our thinking and our, in our life and in our prayers, the more, the higher view that we have of God, the higher our worship will be friends. And so that's why I wanted to discuss some of God's attributes. What is he like? What, who is he? That way, some of our fear and anxieties might go away from that, especially in time like this. If you go to verse 20, it talks about, by his knowledge, the deeps were broken up. Proverbs 3.20. God knows all things. And this is our second attribute we're going to look at real quick. We could spend, like I said, weeks and months, maybe someone could even do years. I couldn't talk years about this, but I'm sure there are, the, the word of God is so rich and vast that there are, there are enough words of God to, to talk about this for that long and still be captivated by it. That's why it's the eternal word of God. It's, this man did not write this. It's deeper than that. There's levels and depths and layers to it that I, we're just giving a, a very, very bird's eye view of this, that our faith may be increased this evening. So God's knowledge, God knows all things. He has never learned, gained, or acquired new knowledge of any kind. Even what's going on here, friends, that, this is not out of God's reach of what's going on here. God doesn't look down the tunnel of time and, and see anything new and then go back to his notebook and you know, adjust from there. God is like, a, God is like, he, I was thinking about this this week. He is the best author that this world has ever seen because he doesn't just start from like a lot of authors do. You start from, they have a few points maybe. They start from the beginning, work their way towards the end, sub changes in the middle. God goes to the end first, decrees that, and he works backwards. So nothing is out of his hand. Nothing is out of his decree. Nothing is out of his sovereignty. He knows all things. He knows all things. He does not acquire new knowledge of any kind before the foundation of the world. God not only sees the future, but he declares it because he knows it. So as the infallible author, he starts with the end. And then I guess for a lack of better words, like I just mentioned, moving backwards to the beginning, ordaining, decreeing, and setting in motion all things before the start. And now I know that in our human minds, that can be confusing, especially when we see suffering and hurt and trials and pain in the world. Well, if God knows all of this, why, why, why this way? Friends, we're going to talk about some of this more tonight, but it, it won't be exhaustive because a lot of this is by faith. A lot of this is the word revealed in, in the flesh, Jesus Christ, that he holds the world in his nail-pierced hands. It was the greatest demonstration of love this world has ever seen. And we're going to talk more about that as we go on. But he's a God you can trust, even though you can't fully understand him. We can trust him. And I, I believe the whole of the scriptures speak to that point that God does reveal himself to us through the word. 
but it's still not encompassing all that he is. We don't know the mind of God. His ways are not our ways, friends. They're way above our ways. But if we can just trust him and walk with him by his spirit, he'll be with us and he'll empower us by his spirit to not fear, to not tremble, but to be confident and to be assured in the gospel and that he has everything in his hands. And that leads into our next attribute we're going to discuss is God's sovereignty, which really works with God's knowledge. All of, by the way, I just, I do want to make this clear. If you've never studied God's attributes or, or really heard about that, um, a lot of preachers will, uh, theologians will break, break God's attributes up in between nine, uh, 11, 12, sometimes 15 attributes. This is not, his attributes are not pieces of himself and they all make a whole. Okay, God is 100% sovereign. He's 100% knowing. He's 100% eternal. He's 100% holy. He's 100% loving. He's 100% wrathful. He's 100% just. Okay? So I want you to keep that in mind as we go. These aren't pieces of God, and, and he's split up into percentages. God is fully God. He's, he's what theologians say, a simple God, which means he's not broken up into all these pieces. He is one God. So keep that in mind, especially as we kind of go in the deep end of the pool of God's sovereignty. We're already talking, you know, I'm already not an infinite person, um, and I'm talking about an infinite God. So all, all of these things will, will definitely come short, especially when you, see, when you see him in eternity. You might look back at this message and be like, wow, that, that was not very impressive, Daniel, uh, how you were talking about God, because he's much bigger than I thought. Why, why, why did I have any fear of the God, the glorious, mighty God. So now I want us to go back to our text. I don't want us to forget our text. We're in Proverbs still, and we're talking about the way of wisdom. But like I said, in order for us to, to really latch on to these truths and to, and to walk in wisdom and what God would have for us, I think it's important, especially in this time, to just, just take a step back and see who this God is that we're reading about. So now we're going to read Proverbs three twenty one through 26. If you still have your Bibles open, follow along with me. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So God's sovereignty is defined, as I've defined it, is this. God's complete, active, reigning and ruling over all. He rules. He rules over all in glorious majesty. The scripture says that he sits on a throne. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever pondered that thought, but God is sitting on his throne. He's not standing around sweating and pacing back and forth in the heavens. What is going on? Friends, he is seated on his throne, seated as a king would sit as the people around him do his bidding. He is not worried for he, like I said, he put all this in motion. He is the sovereign, holy God, and he is seated on his throne. He is not pacing back and forth. Scripture says he is seated, reigning and ruling over all. The Lord reigns. If you read a lot of the Psalms, there's so many Psalms that talk about God's enthronement, that God reigns, that he is in charge. Nobody else is in charge, that God is sovereign, 
and that he directs and he moves all things according to his kingly counsel. So we can be confident to trust him. God works all things according to his purpose. His will, his purpose, is that God, God for his own glory, for his namesake, does what he does. God is for God and all things he has worked for his purpose and for his glory. That's an encouraging thought. It's still one of those things that can be confusing to us. But we trust in that, that whatever purposes God has decreed for our life and for the future, that he knows what is best. So God's sovereignty is his complete reign and rule overall. He's also presently reigning, okay? That's an important thing to keep in mind. It's not he's going to be reigning at the second coming when all this is done. He's reigning now in heaven, seated on his throne in his royal office. The scripture says that Christ, he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He rules over all in glorious majesty. He's sitting on the throne and governs everything in this world. God is in control of all that comes to pass. And though that can rise up more questions, we we can latch on to the truth that God is in charge, friends. Satan is not in charge, okay? The government is not really in charge. Man is not in charge. The king of kings is in charge. Sickness is not in charge. Depression is not in charge. Finances are not in charge. God is in charge, and he is sovereign, and he rules over all. The sovereignty definition, if you look it up in the dictionary, is a supreme power, a controlling influence above or superior to all others. Supreme in power, rank, and authority, and is not dependent on anything or anybody else. This is what it means to be God. God would not be God if he was not reigning and ruling and being sovereign. As the Psalms say, the Lord reigns. Man is not reigning. Their deeds are not in charge. The Lord reigns. Trials do not reign. They have no power. Circumstances that come and go like the wind and the tides, they do not reign. The king of kings reigns, and he is on his throne. And as we mentioned earlier, he's not pacing back and forth, sweating. What is going on? He is seated on his glorious throne, and he is sovereign. I really pray that even during this time, and after our gathering here tonight, that we'll just ponder the greatness and the glory of God, that he holds all things together in his hand. So every single, off of this point, every single event that occurs is in some sense, though we cannot fully grasp, is predestined by God. Now, at the same time, like I said, more questions could arise from that, but at the same time, the scriptures speak of man's responsibility. That God uses human means to fill what he has before the foundation of the world ordained. That is very important. I don't want us to get confused in that because just because God is sovereign and that's true does not mean we don't have a responsibility. God uses means to get his work done. And one of the good things about that is, even in just living for Christ and sharing the gospel, is though God is sovereign, he uses us as his ambassadors to go to the world and to share the good news of Jesus, friends. 
He has called us, he has set us apart for this because he is using his church to proclaim the gospel to the world and how we love one another and how we serve one another, especially in times like these, the world is paying attention. The world does notice. And friends, it all comes back to our trust in that God is in control. Because if we know God is in control, we're going to be more bold, we're going to be more loving, we're going to be more sacrificial. Because God, if we're his, if we're in Christ, he has us. He has us. And anything, because in this world, right, in this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He's not saying, trust in me, you'll never have a problem. He's saying, when those problems arise, I will be there, and I will work mighty in your life, and the world will see the gospel because of that. And it will be worth it. In the end, in eternity, when we see Christ face to face in all his glory, it will be worth it. And friends, that day is coming soon. That day is coming soon for all of us. The Bible also never blames God for, for, for evil or tragedies, but the scriptures proclaim God's sovereignty as comfort and assurance that evil will not be victorious and God's promises and good plans for his people will be accomplished. If you, read, if you have read Revelation, you know in the end who wins. And it's God and it's his people. Amen. God's promises and good plans for his people will be accomplished. But God's sovereignty and human's responsibility always work together, though we can't fully grasp that understanding. This is going to also be received by faith. So we believe this, we walk in it by faith, that God is sovereign, he's in control, and we can confidently and fully trust him. Amen. Proverbs also says, um, I actually don't know if I have it written down here, but that man determines his plan, but the Lord directs his steps. I think that's what it is. So God, it's not just the big moments that God is in charge of. It's the, it's, it's the little things that don't seem to matter. It's, it's the flowers in the field. It's the, it's the rain that comes. It's the fog in the morning. It's, it's, Everything's decreed, friends, and it's, we can trust him that he knows what he's doing. And we can rest, and our sleep can be sweet. Because we're not going to bed fearful of what the next day is going to bring, though it could bring trouble, and it will bring trouble. We know that God is on his throne, and he is sovereign, and he works all things according to his purpose and glory. And if, that's in Christ, and if you're in Christ, that's, it's even better news because... If God is for me, who is against me? If he gave me his, his son, will he not give me all things? And that, that doesn't necessarily mean things that, that can be blown and tossed by the wind, whether it be money or, or success or safety, but he's going to, for those things that maybe you don't have, friends, and even at this moment, by faith, he will make that up to you in different ways. He will give his spirit to you in profound ways, and you can walk in that sure and mighty power of his and not in your own strength because friends the world doesn't really respond to men walking in their strength because everybody walks in their own strength when you walk in the spirit and the glory and the power of god people notice and how do we walk in that we trust in god we read his word we pray we gather with the saints and we lift his name up high and we by faith walk in his spirit we put away the deeds of the flesh we're actively fighting against sin in our life. We want to be filled with the Spirit and, and walk in His ways and have the knowledge 
and the wisdom that we can walk in that, it's really important, friends, that as, bro- as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all together, we can encourage one another to put off that sin that is entangling you over and over again. Put it away. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And because God gives his spirit to us and he is sovereign, he will help us. He knows our need. That's, that's another thing that we can talk about. Even talking about God's sovereignty is he knows you and he knows your needs. He knows where you're going. He knows where you've been and he can help you like nobody else can if you'll reach out to him by faith. The last attribute we're going to talk about is God's holiness. And we're going to talk, we're going to go to Proverbs 3.32. We're just going to hit that verse real quick as well, just to make sure we're staying grounded in our text here. So we're, we're actually going to jump, like I said, all the way down to 32. I want to come back to the section that we skipped. I think that's going to be a good way to end it based off the truth that, that, we're, going to, that we're going to know throughout the rest of this, our time we have together tonight. So Proverbs 3.32, For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he, but he is intimate with the upright. Okay, this is going to be a launching pad for God's, God's holiness. So as you might have read in Scripture, God is declared as holy, 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 that everything about God is holy. When it says holy, 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 what that really is meaning is that God is holy, that he is holier than anything or anyone he has made, and that he is the absolute holiest. There is no one holy like the Lord. And you might have heard this word before, holy, um, the holy son of God, Jesus, God's holy word, God's holy church, right? What is the meaning of that? What does that mean? Well, the meaning of that word really means to separate or to cut, okay? If you have a piece of paper and you rip that, those two pieces are now separate and they're apart, okay? What really, what that's saying is God is so unlike us and he's so set apart in his kingly splendor that he's, we're not even close to where he is. Yes, holiness does have a denotation of perfection, um, but really what, what holiness means is God is so set apart from us. He's even so set apart that we would be consumed by his glory and beauty if for a second we saw him in our human state. That he's so different from us, so different. The distance from his holiness is so far from us, there is no measure worthy or comparison of that. I also want to point out, if you've read Revelation, there is only one attribute being declared that is in Scripture, that is being declared around God's throne. And what is that? That God is holy, holy, holy. Day and night, the angels cry out and worship. What are they saying? Are they saying God is love, 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 though he is love? No. Are they saying God is is righteousness, 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 though he is righteous. He is moral. He has moral perfection. Are they saying God is wrath, wrath, wrath? No. They're saying God is holy, holy, holy. That God is holy. He's holier than anything or anyone he has made in the absolute holiest. That's what they're saying. Everything about God is holy. Now, what does this mean? It means that God is separate and above his creation. Like we said, the word holy means to separate or cut, to cut it in two, so both sides are distance. 
that God is so separate and he's so high and lifted up from his creation. There's no measure the distance. If you wanted to measure the distance, well, how far is God's holiness compared to my holiness, friends? There's no distance. Don't even try. He's mighty in his greatness. He's so unlike us in his kingly splendor. If you read the Old Testament, which I encourage you to make sure you're still reading your Old Testament, because it all fits together as one book from Genesis to Revelation. We can't Though, though, though the richness in, that's in the New Testament of God revealed in the flesh, let us not forget the Old Testament, friends. For we see God's holiness at work so strongly in his hatred towards sin and his love for his people. We see that in the Old Testament, how he weaves and guides things and is always for his people, though they're not always for him. But he has set his people apart. So I would encourage you to keep the Old Testament fresh, keep it in your mind for it will encourage you to see God, how he rightly is high and lifted up. I would also, one of, one of my Bible reading plans that I really, I really enjoy, basically my strategy to go about that is I'm always reading the New Testament. So I'm always reading Matthew to Revelation, just back and forth. I'm always reading that. And most of the days I start my day off with where I'm at excuse me, where I'm at in there. Um, and so I just, I just go in order. I start from Matthew because I'm the kind of person that I don't really, sometimes I can get really worked up what I'm supposed to read, all, all this stuff, and it creates confusion. And I end up not reading nothing, trying to decide for 20, 30 minutes, well, what does God want me to read? What do I need in this moment? I don't know. So I start from Matthew and just work my way to Revelation. I keep doing that. I'm also, I also start in Genesis and I make sure to read from the Old Testament, three to four chapters a day. And so as the years go by, you're constantly nourished. Um, I know some people, the struggle they've had in reading the Bible is they start from Genesis and, and they attempt to move forward and they don't read anything else. And by the time they get to Leviticus, they're struggling because they just need some of Romans and they need some of the Gospel of John. You know, you don't have to separate the two. Okay, So I just want to encourage you in that uh, to keep the Old Testament in, in your minds uh, and, and read it, but also... Uh, we, we, we can read the whole counsel of God even at once. So God's given us that grace to do that. Uh, also, one of a prime examples of God's holiness is, is, in the, is in Exodus. It is in the Old Testament as well. Uh, but it is also in Isaiah. I actually want you to turn there because this is a really key text for seeing God. It's going to be Isaiah 6. I don't have it written down in my notes because um, I have a lot of scripture verses in here that if I had time to, I would get to. But um, since you all are probably not going anywhere, I know there's a few people here with us during the live stream. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to try to not go on too long, but uh, Vince may have to come up and stop me. I don't know. But I know as far as you guys go, hopefully you guys are in a good place, safe place at home. And you can go back to this. Any of these points, you can go back and do a, do a more in-depth study on way more than I'm saying. I don't have all the knowledge or all the answers, but this is just something that I've been studying on my own. So Isaiah 6, I think, is a, is a key text, and I just want to read that as we're talking about God's holiness. And we're not going through this just because it's a thing to check off. We're, we are going through this because I think there's power in, know, like we said before, there's power in knowing who God is in all his glory as best as we can. And so by knowing his holiness, that's going to also give us more courage and silence that fear that so tries to rise up. 
So I'm going to read Isaiah 6. This is when Isaiah the prophet uh, saw God, saw God um, in a vision. In the year of King Uzziah's death, this is Isaiah 6, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And they called out to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Why, Isaiah? Because, he says, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So this is a very, very sobering account because we see Isaiah, the prophet, that God raised up to be the mouthpiece of God to speak to the people. And what, what happens when he sees God on his throne? What is the first thing that he says? Is he going to question God? No. What does he say? Woe is me, for I am ruined. The word woe is very, very strong. Cursed is me. Damned is me. I am unclean. I live among a people of unclean lips. And he gives the answer why he thinks that. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And God's holiness and splendor and majesty, we, we can't even look upon him without knowing our unworthiness. That was Isaiah's response. That was the first thing. Even though he was raised up as a prophet to speak for God among the people, he said, woe is me. For I am unclean. We mentioned earlier that God is sitting on his throne. We see him sitting on his throne here, actively ruling and reigning. The seraphim, which means the burning ones, they're on fire for God. They're covering their face and their feet. Revelation also talks about that too, how they're saying, holy, holy, holy. It's almost as if they're, if you've been to sports arenas, if Stadiums are full. I think, I think this is more of like a soccer thing. I'm not a soccer person, but uh, maybe they shout the song from one side and the other side answers back. You can kind of picture that's what the seraphim are doing is we have the myriads over here saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the other side saying the whole earth is full of his glory. And they just repeat that, repeat that, repeat that. Why are they repeating that? Because they're on fire for God. And they know God. This is a point that we can even gain from this. The closer you are to God, the more on fire you will be for him. As the seraphim, the burning ones. That God is perfect in power by the glory of his holiness. And his power is illuminated by the glory of his holiness. We also see examples of God's holiness of even the apostles. When, they, when, they, when God revealed a little more to them than Maybe at times they bargained for. When Peter, when he saw the catch of fish, if you remember in one of the accounts of the Gospels, the catch of fish that Jesus brought in when they had been fishing all night, the miracles of the fish, Peter got a glimpse of the holiness of God. He got a glimpse of how majestic and how separate this Christ is. And one of the first things he said was, 
depart from me, Jesus. Uh, sort of echoing what Isaiah said, I'm, I am unclean. I, I can't even be around you because of what I am to know what you are. Same thing as John, uh, who's known as one of the disciples that, that Jesus loved while he was here on the earth. He had a very close relationship. On the island of Patmos, he, God gave him a revelation, a vision of the revealing of Christ, basically. And what was John's response to that? John fell at his feet like a dead man, seeing the risen Christ. Fell at his feet. Friends, like we said, we need to be in glorified bodies, with glorified minds, with glorified eyes one day to see the holiness and the glory of the Lord. But Jesus has promised that we will see his face. We will see his face and we'll have new bodies. And these, these bodies that are so frail and worn are going to be raised up one day into brand new bodies. And we can rejoice in that, that we'll be able to stare God in the face and not melt. <laughs> Our hearts might burst, but we'll be intact because we'll be a new creation. And we can fully enjoy God forever. That's one of the hopes of the gospel that we have, is that though... If you are not in Christ, some of these attributes that you're listening to could, could cause fear. And I want to tell you that's, that's okay, because it, this, could, this could even be the very thing that leads you to realize your unholiness and your unworthiness and that you are not perfect, but there is a God who's reigning that is. And we're going to talk more about that soon, how we can be reconciled to that God if you are not in Christ or don't, have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. These attributes could be jolting for you, because like, what does that mean for me? If people that are in Christ are falling down his feet, what does that mean for me? God is perfect and pure. He takes no pleasure in unrighteousness. He takes no pleasure in sin. He can't be passive or neutral towards sin. He's holy, he's full of love, because he is pure and, and he is of perfect love. But because he has perfect love, he must hate certain things. And he hates sin and takes no pleasure in it. For he cannot, his eyes are too pure, to look on evil. So as we're finishing up God's holiness, we're going to go back to our text. And we're going to go, I think I have in my notes, to back to Proverbs. So I'm actually going to turn back there. I didn't leave a bookmark. So if you need to grab a drink, if you need to get the kids... Back in their positions, do that. I'm just going to go ahead and turn to where we are now. Make sure my notes are in order. So if you, if you know me or my wife, my wife is a lot more organized than I am. Uh, I am definitely not on the organized side. And so somehow I ended up with three different sets of notes for this message. I stapled all of them, but there's three different ones I'm searching through. So... Uh, Kayla is going to have to give me wisdom on how to better next prepare for my sermon. And I have three separate piles. All, if you know me, only I could have three separate piles of notes. Uh, that's something I will, <laughs> I, will, uh, I will admit to. I'm not very organized. But I'm thankful the Lord is organized. And is, there is not a single jot or tittle out of place. And that his creation is exactly what he wants it to be. All right, so now we're going, to, we're going to go to Proverbs 3, 32 through 35. 
is going to be our third section that we're going to go through. And I've labeled this section, coming out of God's attributes, I've labeled this as gospel wisdom. Okay. So Proverbs 3, 32 through 35. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display honor. So in this section, I really want us to talk about the whole sum of wisdom, which a lot of theologians, a lot of writers have, have separated up into two categories of what kind of wisdom kind of boils down to that kind of all other wisdom flows out from. And that's kind of what we've been talking about already, but the knowledge of God and the knowledge of man. So all true wisdom flows from those truths, that we cannot see ourselves rightly until we see God for who he rightly is. And I think that's a key point as I, as I was studying this and as I'm trying to understand more. I, I can be more bent towards the more of a feeling kind of person. I kind of look inward a lot and I, I gauge my emotions. I'm very aware of how I'm feeling. And so sometimes that, that can lead me astray. That's one of the things that the Lord has to sanctify me on is not to trust my emotions as much. But sometimes in situations and even in my walk with Christ, I have started looking at myself first and not looking to God first. And that's not very wise to do because if we start with ourselves, and we've already said how God is so far above us and perfect and holy and righteous. If we start with ourselves, we're prone to err and we're prone to distort God because we're going to be putting on to God our emotions and feelings and it's going to stir everything up. You know, for example, if I, if I feel, I don't know, if I feel, I, I can't really think of an example at this moment, but if I feel a certain way or I don't feel secure in something, I could put that onto God and say, well, Lord, I, I feel this way, so fix this for me. And it can come across in a very way that the scriptures encourage us not to relate to God that way, that we can't start with our, our frailty and our weakness. We have to look to God first and then look back at ourselves and then look back up to God. So it's not that God doesn't want us to be in touch with our feelings or look at ourselves. He just wants us to look at him first. Because that's going to pave the way. That's going to give us wisdom. We're talking about the way of wisdom. That's going to give us the whole sum of wisdom. If we can get the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves correctly, friends, it all flows from that. We can walk in power. We can walk in assurance. And we can walk in the truth and, and, and not be blown about by every wind and doctrine and teachings of men because we know who we are, but we know who God is. Rightly. So that's why we've labored on these points so much of God's attributes because I believe by looking to God and seeing God for who he rightly is, we can now look at ourselves from an accurate assessment. If, like I mentioned, if we look at ourselves first, our view of God will be distorted. Okay? We are in the nature of Adam. Adam and Eve, they fell. Okay? And we have that nature of Adam as a result of the fall. Though we're made in the image of God, our nature is now corrupt. Okay? Our nature is not to be trusted. Our nature deceives us. Our nature is not holy. Our mind, emotions, affections, even our will has been tainted and corrupted in some way. 
So I want you to hold your place there. I want us to also, while we're talking about gospel wisdom, we're going to go to Romans, to the book of Romans. I try not to jump around a lot, but I think this is, in some ways, this, this is sort of like a Bible study as well, a Bible study feel. And so I also want to give you these, these texts to go back on and, and to really, during your family discipleship time, some of the stuff you know, that we've talked about last week and then this week and then the weeks coming that will be available to you to, uh, to stream, that you use these as, as starting points and launching pads for your own family as, as, we, as we all together grow in the grace and knowledge of, of Jesus. Uh, we don't need a building to do that. The building helps, but uh, God's church is always on the move and it's always active and it's always... We're all, all of us are being conformed to Christ's image. Okay, God's promised that. None of this is going to stop that. Okay? That's why we're, we've put all the efforts that we can uh, to get here early, to set all this up, that, that we may commune together. This is an act of worship, what we're doing here together as a whole, as we're worshiping God together. Uh, even though it's, it's a bit strange for all of us, I think, it's something we're not used to. But I pray at the end of this, whatever, however long this season lasts, that God will be glorified and magnified through all of this and will be stronger with each other and, and look unto God more. So we're going to be, uh, still hold your place in Proverbs if you'd like, but we're going to, uh, using Proverbs as a launching power, we're going to go to Romans 3 now, just so I can sort of clarify knowledge of God, knowledge of man. We, have to, we can't look at ourselves first. Well, why can't we look at ourselves first? I want to give you some scripture to back that up. Um, because my, my word is, is not infallible. My, my word is prone. I am prone to err. I'm prone to misunderstandings. I'm prone to not saying things as clearly as um, I would like. And I think everybody who is in ministry or preaches God's word or just tries to give directions to their kids, sometimes we, we, we don't say things the right way in our intentions. But the word of God is always, always infallible. It's always true. And sometimes passages can be a little difficult, but that doesn't mean they're out of our reach for understanding. So sometimes we just got to dig a little deeper down. So we're going to be in Romans 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 9. Okay, we'll start there. And we're actually going to go to verse 19, because I just want, I want us, to get a hold, us to get a hold on this. Romans 3, starting at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That's everybody. Jews, Greeks, everybody's all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Why? Well, Paul gives the answer, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. In these verses, there's not, in ourselves, there's not a lot of hope for us here because it's, it's laying, Paul is laying out in his epistle to the Romans is one of the clearest expositions of the gospel that has ever been written, that the Spirit inspired him to write. There's so much knowledge and, and wisdom in this. Um, it's been called by other theologians the king of all the epistles. It's, 
Um, there, there's been church pastors and leaders, uh, kings of old, of, of emperors of old, and in, in, in the A.D., like long, long, 300s, 400s, they would have their servants read Romans to them uh, every single day out loud. They would, it would just get into their minds. It's a very clear exposition of the gospel. And this is where Paul starts in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3. He starts with all the world is guilty. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. There's no one that's good, not, not even one. If you do a study in the Greek, not even one means not even one. Nobody. Nobody. Okay? Which means, friends, that we and ourselves have nothing to offer God. What can, we, what can we offer him? Like we've talked about, if he is so above us, what can we offer him? God, and you might even say, well, we can do good works, and we can, we can, we can even take principles from scriptures and what Jesus said, and we can, and we can, we can take, take those things, and we can help feed the poor, and we can, we can even pray for the sick, and we can do those things that we think do alms. We can do whatever. Surely God will accept that. Um, and, and nothing else. The scripture says good works are like filthy rags. That's not enough. It's not enough. We are accountable to God. But you might say, well, that, that's not me. That, that's, that's not me. Well, Paul, like I said, Paul says not good, not even one. This is our condition. And friends, like we talked about earlier, we have to understand our condition before we can even move forward and and, and understand what God has offered to us, especially in Christ, what, what he is offering to us. If we don't rightly see ourselves and how the scripture says that we are in need of God, in need of, of, of something, a savior to save us, we, we, we have nothing to offer God. I also want us to go to another section here. As I have another subpoint, now we're going to get into what Paul says and what this church is about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to tackle this real quick. Romans three twenty three through twenty six. We've already determined that no one is good, not even one. Even our our hearts, minds, wills have been corrupted. There, there, there's no getting out of this. What is the holy God to do with us? But we have hope here. There's always hope in God's word. Romans three twenty three through 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Whom God displayed publicly as propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you might ask, you're hearing about sin and not being good. Why is sin a problem? Have you ever pondered that, friends? Why is sin a problem? Sin actually is not a problem in, in, in of it in itself. Sin is a problem because of God. He is righteous and holy. And because of that, now we have eternal concern. If all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and he is righteous and holy and we're not, this is of eternal concern that we should think about. Yes, but you say God is good and he's full of love though, right? He's loving and good. 
yes, God is loving and good, and that's, that's actually the problem because you're not good. What is a good God to do? A righteous, holy, good, full of justice and pure love God, what is he to do with you? And this is what Scripture talks about as the great dilemma. This is a great dilemma. Because God is righteous, he's devoid of any moral blemish. That's what it means to be righteous. Any, he's perfect in his perfection. He must judge. We can just think about this for a minute. If, we're, if you are truly righteous, and if, you have, and if you love all that is pure, you love all that is beautiful, all that is good, all that is life, you must hate certain things. God is not dispassionate about sin. He has opinions about that. He hates sin and iniquity because he's holy. That's his character. That's not a choice that he makes. That's who he is. This isn't, a, this isn't something he's decided, I'm going to hate this or hate that. He is holy. He is righteous. He is good and loving, and we are not. You say, well, why is sin such a big deal? We're not perfect. Why? Friends, I've pondered that too. Even what seems to be, like Scripture says, we read, what seems to be the smallest infraction, what seems to be not really a big deal at all. It's just a white lie, or it's just, I just disobeyed God in this area, or this, or it's not that big of a deal. But even the smallest infraction or sin is worthy of infinite judgment because it's against an infinite God. That, friends, we need to grasp onto. God is infinite. He is holy. Like I said before, He is not like us. We cannot put our frailty and our unholiness and our non-perfections, because we've just said, well, I'm not perfect. We can't put that on God. God is perfect. He's perfect in all his ways. That's why we must start with him and not start through the lens of who we are. I feel many people have gone down that road. Well, I'm not perfect. God will forgive me. Friends, because God is perfect, there should be eternal concern for you. But this leads us to the good news. This leads us to God's wisdom and salvation. Romans 3:24 through 26. What we just read. I'm not going to read it again, but you can read it. And like I said, this is the great dilemma. Now, how can God forgive sin and remain just and right? How can he do that? You said God is righteous. God is full of justice. God is full of He's a just God. He's a just judge. So how can God do this? Does he just pardon people? Does he just let people off the hook? Does he just throw sin away? We know that's not true. That's not what a good judge does. That's not what a pure God does. For he is just and right, like we said. But this is the good news, friends. And Like we read here in Romans 3.26, so that God could be the just, could be, would, would be the just and the justifier who has faith in Jesus. That God can remain just and still forgive you because of Jesus Christ. And friends, that is, that is, that is the gospel. And that's what Paul talks about in, 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 in these verses, being justified. Romans 5 talks about that. Those can be big words, but it's, it's a really glorious truth, justification. It's, it's an act of God's free grace where he forgives, he pardons all of our sin, and he accepts us. He looks at us as righteous in his sight. And here's the thing to remember is that he treats us as righteous, even though we're not. Even though we're not. So how can God do this? It's Jesus Christ. 
As Pastor Jordan prayed before we started the service, Christ lived the perfect life. He sent on a mission to redeem. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He, God, made him who knew no sin. Christ was perfect. Who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Our behalf. Don't forget that just because God is sovereign, he works all things according to his will, and he's decreed everything. Jesus went to the cross out of love. Out of love. We, we cannot get... We, God, we can't, if this makes sense, we can't put God so far up there that, he, that, that we can't think that he would come down here. God came down here 2,000 years ago. He came out of love. In his holiness, in his sovereignty, he became flesh and he dwelt among us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So, why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. In ourselves? No. In him. In Christ. Romans 8, 8, 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Though our frailty in our, our flesh, we could not keep the law. Christ did perfectly. Every jot, every tittle was tempted in all things as we are. Not just tempted in what you were tempted in, friends, but he was tempted immeasurably more and greater than you will ever be. The whole weight of, of, of Satan's arrows were being shot at him in the wilderness. He didn't, eat, he didn't eat for 40 days. He was just tempted, tempted. Satan trying to drag him away. And he is our example. That Christ not only did what we could not do, he lived the life that we could not do, but he took all those temptations for us that we struggle with sometimes every day. In every moment, tempted to be pulled to the left. He felt those, so he understands. And he felt immeasurably more than what you do. We can trust him. We can put our hope and our confidence in him that he will see us through. We have a God who understands. As the scripture says and attests to, though we are under a curse, if you read Genesis, we're under the curse of Adam as man. Though we are under a curse because of sin, God has provided the remedy through Christ, to be forgiven, redeemed, and restored to our God. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You just want to meditate on that verse this week, that the Son of God, who we talked about, created the world, who came down here out of love, Love for his bride, love for his church. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. What? A curse for us, for it is written, as it says in the Old Testament, you can consider him cursed of God, everyone that's hanged on a tree. He is cursed of God. Christ being hung on a tree was a declaration that Christ bore our sin, and he was cursed by God as the substitute. He did this out of love. Friends, we can talk about the attributes of God all day, and those are glorious truths, but nothing has captivated my heart more than the gospel of Jesus. Him becoming a curse for us on that tree. 
as weak as I was, as weak as you are, friend. Christ was cursed of God as a substitute for you, that he could redeem you and restore you to himself. These are glorious truths. Christ took the sin of his people and the wrath of God for our sin that you deserve, that I deserve for my sin, though he was perfect and sinless. He suffered immeasurably in our place for our sins. Our consequences, our judgment, he suffered. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ's life was full of suffering. He did this out of love. We are saved, forgiven, adopted, reconciled to God by putting our faith and trust in Christ alone. For he rose from the dead and is now seated at God's right hand. He's reigning. He's ruling. And he is saving. And you might ask, what must I do to inherit these precious promises? We must repent. That's what the scriptures teach. We must repent. We must turn from sin. We must turn from ourselves and believe on Christ. Salvation is not merely confession or accepting facts of Christ. It is turning to God in faith and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. To take up your cross and to follow him. This means a new birth with new affections, with new desires. To put off the old self, to be renewed in the true image and knowledge of God. For the sake of time, we're going to go back to Proverbs 3, 27 to 31, and we're going to wrap this up real quick. So if you want to turn there, we're going to go back to the section that we skipped, and we're just going to hit this real quick. We're going to throw some other scriptures in here as well to kind of give us an understanding. This this is not an exhaustive uh form here this is we could talk about these for weeks and months but time does not allow that tonight proverbs 3 27 through 31 do not withhold good from to those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it do not say to your neighbor go and come back and tomorrow i will give it when you have it with you do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways. Amen. So instead of going to these verses right away, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some other verses that will help give us an understanding and kind of frame these scriptures. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What these verses, what I want us to get about these section of verses is living in wisdom through the light of the gospel. What everything we just learned about God's attributes, the gospel Proverbs was giving us some instructions, basic instructions on how to treat our neighbors on how to not withhold people withhold things from people do not envy these are things that can not be accomplished fully without resting in the gospel so that's why i wanted to come back to these and have other scriptures that we could go back to because all of this loving your neighbor is it is a as an outflow of what god has done for us any work that god has called us to do it starts with the gospel it starts with walking in the spirit it starts with we have been given much now we're going to give much 
And I want us to have that frame of mind as we read these, not, not just to obey these, but to take the knowledge that we have learned here this evening and apply that. And that's what wisdom is, to apply the knowledge that we've learned, not just to know more than the next man or the next woman, but we take the knowledge sanctified by the Holy Spirit and we reach this world. Colossians 2, 2 through 3, a true knowledge of God's mystery. Paul talks about that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom, you want knowledge, look to Christ. You want to see love, look to Christ. You want to see where justice was served, look to the cross. There justice was paid for in full that you might receive it by faith. Once again, going to Romans, this talks about how we're supposed to, how we're to treat our neighbor. Romans 13, 8 through 14. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has what? Fulfilled the law. Pardon me, friends. I lost my place there. We have fulfilled the law. We are ambassadors of Christ. Now we can show the love of God to everybody in, in a sacrificial way, not just in a way that is with words, but in a sacrificial way like Christ showed for us, was shown for us. He lived the perfect life. He, he died on the cross. He suffered. He, he, he sacrificed. We're supposed to walk in his steps and all those around us, so the people that we meet in our neighborhood, everywhere, to be intentional, loving, and sacrificial, especially in times like these May the gospel be that driving force to send us out. We don't need to work these emotions up. Well, I, you know, it's, these are such trying times. I, I'm a Christian. I really, I, really, I really, you know, should be doing this. I should be doing that. If, that is your, if that's your mode of, of doing things because you should do them, get before the Lord. Ask him to reveal to you the gospel all over again. And because like we talked about knowledge of God, knowledge of ourselves. If we know ourselves, we can look to God that we need, we need his help and he'll help us. He'll help us see every single day with fresh eyes how much we need him. And because of that, that God's given us so much, we'll give freely to anybody that asks. As Proverbs says, not to withhold from your neighbor. Do not, do not go and come back tomorrow, I'll give it. Meet their needs right where they are when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm, as our scripture says. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. We can really share the light of the gospel in times like this by meeting people's needs, for telling, asking them how we can pray for them. And maybe they'll ask us the hope that is in us. Why, why are you concerned about me? Take care of your own family. Take care of your own self. But because of what Jesus did for us, we can give freely and sacrificially and humbly and joyfully. So in conclusion, may we all be humbly driven to the feet of Jesus, asking in full faith to receive understanding and wisdom through his spirit, that he would reveal to us the majesty, power, authority, and sovereignty of Almighty God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. So thankful, so grateful that we can gather together and, and learn from your word, God. In Christ, our, 
the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Lord, your love was revealed on the cross for us, God. Living the perfect life we could not live, the death we should have died. But you rose again, Lord, and as we talked about earlier, you are seated, you are lifted up, you are high, seated on your throne, above every name that is named, God. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Lord, your name is above all. Give us wisdom as we go about our day in this this strange season that we're in, God. May we not lose faith. May we not lose trust in the purposes that you have for us, God. Please help us. Give us eyes to see fresh every day the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what you have done. Lord, we are secure in knowing that you are sovereign, that you are holy, and that you will be with us through trials, through tribulation, through sickness, that you are with us. Help us to trust you. Lord, I pray for everybody that is listening to my voice that is out there now, Lord, that you would just meet them where they're at right now, them and their children and everyone in their house in a mighty way, God, that you are for them, not against them, that your son has died for them, God, and so they can live for him now. Father, please give us wisdom in all this. Be with us as we worship. May we lift your name up high. It's in the great name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.